This morning, I pray that uh, the Lord would remind us of some things that are precious, some precious truths. And then maybe if you're here this morning and you know not Christ, I hope and pray with all of my heart that he might open your eyes and show you some things uh, that you need to know about salvation. And I want you to look with me here. We've been preaching on the issues of ignorance to this morning. I want you to notice Paul's burden here. And now, as I read through these verses, and as you read with me or follow along with me, I want you to notice specifically and emphasize as you read through there the word righteousness. The word righteousness. As we read chapter 10, verses 1 through 10, each time the word righteousness is mentioned, would you really kind of give that a little bit of more attention? Chapter 10, verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes and says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness. So right off the bat, we see that there are two kinds of righteousness. You agree? God's righteousness, our own righteousness. Okay. He says, to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to every one that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, Or who shall descend into the deep, that is, to bring up Christ again from the dead? But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Would you pray with me, Father? I sure do want to honor your word this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you might help me to proclaim these truths in a way that would honor you and honor Christ. In a way that the Holy Spirit would be pleased to cooperate with your servant. And Lord, that I would not resist him, nor grieve him, nor quench him, but instead be a vessel that he could speak through. I am in great need of thee. I am in great need of thee. And I pray, Lord, you'd help me to make the message clear and plain that Jesus saves. And Father, we pray this morning you'd help us in Christ's name. Amen. And amen. I think most of us are very familiar with the few verses in the New Testament where the Bible says that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. He said, let no man deceive you with vain words, meaning that without righteousness, there is no way that a man can see God. Without holiness, without righteousness, no man will be able to enter into the presence of the Almighty for eternity. And so I want you to notice that Paul says here, notice in verse number 1, I want you to notice his compassion. Not his arrogance, but his compassion. Sometimes our kinfolks mistake our compassion for arrogance when we are concerned about their soul. And we begin to question them about their religion. And where they're going. As if who do we think that we are. But we're not asking this. From a place of high and holiness. From our part. 
but rather from a really a beggar who found bread and knows where the bread's at. And you'll notice here in verse number one, he said, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer. Now, you could take that word Israel, and I think you could probably put somebody else's name right there. Amen? Somebody in your family, somebody that you are a co-worker with, some of your neighbors. I believe that you might be able to say, Lord, I, I pray that they might be saved. That they might be saved. I want you to rest assured that you don't have to talk God into being willing to save them. Because it's upon them, not upon him. For he has manifested his love toward them. In that while they were yet sinners, Christ died for them. But I'll tell you... I. I I want you to notice in chapter 9, if you would, his heart. And this is what I want to say. I want you to show his compassion. It's about their salvation. He said he wanted them to be saved. To be saved. Brother Doug, in 1975, the first time I went to a Baptist church and heard a man preach, he preached on hell that night. And I remember him asking for a show of hands. Of those who knew they were going to heaven or hell. And I was honest. I did not raise my hand. That I knew that I was going to heaven. And so immediately after the services. They came to me and said son we need to talk to you. And so they took me into a room. I remember now I'm a visitor. This is all new to me. It may not be new to you. But it was new to me. I'm not used to biblical terminology. I don't know terms like saved. And they asked me, do you, do you want to be saved? And then they went through Romans chapter 10 down through those verses. And they said, son, you need to be saved. And I said, I really don't understand what you mean. And I did not. I didn't comprehend what being saved meant. And why did I need to be saved? Because I wasn't convinced that I needed it. They were convinced that I needed it. But I was not convinced that I needed what they said that I needed. I appreciate their compassion. I do. And look in chapter 9, verse 1. Paul said, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. He said, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow In my heart. And you go back to chapter 10 verse 1. He said my heart's desire. So you're looking at his compassion here now. Is it possible to live our daily lives and continue on. And rejoice in the Lord without. With there also being underneath it. A a, a, something that goes underneath and lies beneath a, a heaviness. A sorrow, a concern. For people that never goes away because you know that maybe an uncle or an aunt or a mom or a dad or a brother or a sister, a son or a daughter, you know that they have not been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And so, though you are living your life daily and you're doing your best to be thankful for everything, yet there is that underlying burden that never goes away. And for Paul... It was for his countrymen. It was for his kinfolks up to the point that he was even willing to be a curse from God if they, as a nation, would turn to God and be saved. Now, that's that's a lot of compassion. That's a lot of compassion and a lot of concern. Do you have, let me ask you a question. And I and I'd usually, in some of the mission conferences that I preach in, I one of the messages that I like to preach is, do you care? Do you even care? Because how can you give to missions if you really don't care about people that are around you? Why would you care about people across the ocean if you don't care about anybody across the street? Or even across the table? You understand this thing about being saved means, and I found out later, that it meant being delivered. The word saved just simply means being delivered. Delivered from what? Delivered from the wages of my sin 
and the wrath of a holy and righteous God. And so he said, I'm praying for them that they might be saved. So I'm going to ask you this morning, do you really, are you praying for anyone? Now that'll let you know right now if you got anybody on the horizon, anybody, anybody. Now I'm not talking about generically, I'm talking about is there anybody? That is, that is on your radar that you are praying for and you are concerned about concerning their salvation. Paul said, I'm praying for them that they might be saved. He wasn't praying for their education or their vocation or their occupation. And sometimes we pray about our children's education and their vocation. And their occupation far more than we think about and pray for their salvation. And they may grow up to be the smartest and the most brilliant and the most successful on the planet. But if a person gains the whole world and loses their own soul, what have they gained? So Paul is putting it up there in a priority. The most important thing is for a man to be saved. And that's why Paul even wrote... In 1 Corinthians, he said, I'm so serious about this that I am made all things to all men that I might save some. Now, he knew he himself could not save them. But he meant that God would use him to bring the message of salvation as an ambassador of Christ. He knew that. So, I thank God that I continued to go to church and I heard the message. And I didn't realize that I was guilty in verse number of verse number two and three. Now, not, not not verse number two, but verse number three. Now, here you see Paul's compassion, not his arrogance. And so, when you ask a, a grandmother, or you ask a grandfather, or you ask a cousin, "Have you ever been saved?" They may bow up on you. They may even be offended that you would ask them that question. Because they're thinking, well, do you think that you're better than me? That's kind of the way they start considering that. That's not what you're after. You're not out to compare and condemn. You want them to be born again. Amen. Amen. And you'll notice he says in verse number two, notice this number one is Paul's compassion. Do I have any? Do I care about my neighbors? Have I made any effort to reach my neighbors, my friends and my family? But you'll notice Paul's confession about their ignorance. You've got to come to the conclusion that your kinfolks, your family, and your friends don't know as much about God as you think they do. And they are ignorant of certain things. Now, you don't want to walk around saying, well, you sure are ignorant. That's not going to go well. Amen. He said in verse 2, For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. He said, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness. God's righteousness. He confesses that his kinfolks, his loved ones, are ignorant of God's righteousness, even though they have been exposed to the fact of who the true God is. And they believe in God. But they are ignorant of a few things. And by the way, Paul understands this. Because later on, he writes his own testimony and said, I have sat where they sat. I understand this. And you should be able to say the same thing. Keep your hand right where you are, and I'll give you his testimony real quick. Look over in the book of Philippians. Look at this. Look what he says right here. Look in Philippians 3. By the way, you should have a testimony. Amen? You should have a testimony. You say, well, I'm just going to give them the Bible. Well, give them the Bible. I want you to do that. But how about you connecting uh, one of your cars to the engine? Amen? And let the engine be the Scriptures and let your testimony be one of the cars connected to it. Look in Philippians chapter number 3. Look at what he says right here. Now, here we're talking again. They're ignorant now. His concern is about their ignorance of God's righteousness until they go about to establish their own righteousness. And he said, well, let me give you my testimony. Now, before I read this, listen carefully to me. 
When it comes to righteousness, there's only two kinds. And you need to examine your own heart right here. There is what I call imposed righteousness, where you go about to establish your own and you impose it upon God that you want Him to accept it. That's what Cain did. Cain imposed upon the Lord because his was not of faith. And so he imposed upon the Lord and said, hey, I'm I'm expecting you to accept this. This ought to be good enough. Here it is. I've done my best. And then there is over here imputed righteousness, which means it came from another source and it's given to you and reckoned to your account. And it belonged to someone else and they're placing it into your account. There's been a substitute over here. And that righteousness is imputed to your account. So, hey, we all in one of these two camps. You can't be in between. You're in in one of these two. So Paul was in this camp over here. Though he knew God, he believed in God, and he was ignorant of a couple of things. You'll notice here in uh, Philippians chapter number 3, the Bible says here, if you would quickly, he says in verse number 4. Now, he's talking about how if anybody ought to have confidence in the flesh, it's me. He said in verse 4, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I'm more. And he basically was saying, hey, you're not going to do anything that exceeded what I tried to do to please God. Verse 5, he said, I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. I'm pure stock. The bribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, Pharisee. And that meant something. That means I was a Bible believer for the Bible in that day. He didn't have the New Testament, but they had the Old Testament. And he held on to it. He didn't memorize it. He knew it. He was a fundamentalist. And he said in verse number 6 concerning zeal, if anybody messed with what I perceived to be the truth, he said, I went after him. I was what you might say militant in my faith, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Now listen, he didn't say sinless. He said blameless. And a man could... Follow the law to the point of where that a man could be blameless, but the law could not render a man sinless. And there is a difference. There is a difference. And this is where their mistake was made in that in their hearts, they number one, they underestimated the demands of the law. Their ignorant of God's righteousness had to do with their underestimation of God's demand for righteousness. And their overestimation of their ability to meet the demands of the law. Paul said concerning the law, man, I was found blameless. You would not have been able to take me to court and convict me of any of the laws. He said, however... He said, I underestimated the law. What I found to be my friend, I found to be somebody that slew me. He said, because there was one of those laws that says, thou shalt not covet. He said, within me, there was something stirring up inside of me. And he said, Jesus Christ, our Lord, revealed to us. The Pharisees were looking at the letter of the law, the outside part of what you could do with the shell of man and with the work of man. He said, but the law goes beyond that. The law demands not only that you obey the letter, but that you obey it in spirit. That's why Jesus said, you have heard it was said of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. He said, but I say unto you, he said, thou shalt not even look upon a woman and lust after her. If you do so, you have committed adultery already in your heart. And what he's talking about, hate and murder, what is in the heart, he said, you've underestimated your the law and God's demand for righteousness. 
and your ability to be sinless and spotless and righteous. And so what you've done is you've made up a few of your own highlights. In other words, if, if you were fixing to die and, and you've got to stand before God, so you go, you know, like we do sometimes when one of our loved ones pass away, we gather up pictures and we've done this before we pass away. We, sometimes we gather up pictures and we watch home movies or home shows of our families they were growing up. And we take highlights of it. Can you imagine a person said, okay, I believe I'm going to take some highlights of my life and I'm going to present them to God. And so you take up, now look over and turn with me, uh, uh, keep, uh, let, me, let me read this before I move on. I need to, I need to take you to another place. Look, look in Philippians 3. Stop, you know, just keep that thought in mind, we're going to go to another place. Look in Philippians chapter 3. He said this in verse number 7, but, all, but that what things were gained to me I counted lost for Christ. And he says, yea, doubtless I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ my Lord, Christ Jesus my Lord. And verse 9 he said, and be found in him. And this is where I want you to be found today is in him. Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Okay. Now quickly, please, if you would, turn to uh, the book of Luke and look in chapter number 18. You know what Jesus said, uh, you know, about the Pharisees? He even told those people that were following him. He said, accept your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. He said, you will in no wise enter the kingdom of God. That's a, that's a strange statement, isn't it? But see, the righteousness of the Pharisees was that outward shell. He said, you've got to go past that. He said, there's going to have to be more than that. It's going to have to be right not only in heart, not only in, in outward, but inward. As well before God. And so the Bible says here in Luke chapter number 18. Now people who, who want to fix up their little. Let's say if we had to stand before God and we took the highlights of our life. And I'm talking about got real, really, really right down to it. I'm talking about where the rubber's fixing to hit the road. We're fixing to die. We're fixing to step off in eternity. It's serious. I'm talking about you're sweating bullets. You're in the foxhole. It's, that's it. What you're probably going to do is you're going to begin to compare yourself and you're going to raise up the things that you have done. And you're going to show the Lord the good that you have done. But the thing about the law is, the law was never given to save you. If you could live every part of it in letter and in spirit... It could provide you some righteousness. But the Bible says that all have come short of it. And that there is none righteous. No, not one. And the law was not meant to do that. It was meant, according to Psalm 19, the law is perfect. But you know what the next word says? Converting the soul. The law was meant to convert you and to show you that you needed something else. Look at Luke 18. So if we were kind of looking at some highlights of your life, you were defending yourself. What I've noticed about the law too is if I go from, let's say, Shreveport and driving, that's the way we go if we go home to Mississippi for a while and come back. We, drive, we come through Shreveport. It's a, it's a, it is a speed trap one right after another between here and Shreveport on, on Highway 59. Little roads here and there, 65, 55, 40, 35. I mean, just before you know it. And, and I have traveled that way for over 20 years. And I have never had a policeman stop me and say, at, you know, when I get close to Roman Forest, and say, listen, I just want to thank you for passing through all those places and not speeding one time. Not one. And if I got stopped by the law and I said, hold on a minute now, listen. I went through about 20 towns and I did not exceed the speed limit one time. 
Are you telling me that if I, just because I went 55 and a 45 right here in, in Corrigan that you're going to give me a ticket? He said, that's the law. The law is without mercy. And I'm writing you a ticket. And so James said that if you're guilty of one aspect of the law, one part of the law, you are guilty of, as far as God is concerned, you're guilty. You're guilty. You cannot, you don't have the righteousness that is needed to enter the kingdom of God. You understand that? It's like having a mirror and it's only cracked in one spot. You're probably not going to buy it. You go to Kohl's, you're looking for a brand new mirror, and you're going to put it on your kitchen above, above your bathroom sink, and but there's only one crack in it. You're not going to buy it. It'll be cast away. Now notice here in Luke 18, I know I've told you to look at that several times, but we really are going to look at it. Look at this. Look in uh, verse number 9. Luke 18, verse 9. He said, He spake this parable under certain which trusted in themselves... There's the problem. He spake this parable unto certain. And that's not to everybody, because everybody doesn't do that. But it's usually religious people. It's usually some of the kinfolk that you've got that's got a little bit of religion. Acts, the book of Acts is filled with people who were converted from a formal religion. And Paul had to give his up and lay it on the altar and say, I count this as dung because this is not going to get it done. Do you know how hard it is for somebody who has been meticulous, passionate, and busy and committed to their religion for them to be, to be willing to turn from that and, and simply place their faith completely and only in the Lord Jesus Christ? That it is very difficult for a person to do that. Do you realize that is exactly why we send missionaries around the world? It's because these people are ignorant of, of God's righteousness. And they are going about to establish their own righteousness. Do you understand that the prince of darkness, the prince and God of this world, perverts the righteousness of God? That He blinds men to the provision that God has made? And these men that we send out, that we support, these 150 ministries that we support every month are men to go and pierce that darkness and declare the righteousness of Christ. They are to declare the goodness of God and the mercy of God through Jesus Christ. And if they don't do that, then we're not going to support them. Notice what he says here. They trust in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a publican. And these are, these are very, very far apart in society. One is despised, considered to be a sinner, considered to be a slime ball in society, a publican. He works for the IRS. And the Pharisee is that guy that goes to church, and here's what he does. He said, I thank thee. So he's thankful. He said, I'm not as other men. So he's unique. He stands out. He said, I'm not an extortioner. Like, and I'm sure he's thinking about the publican. Very much like Zacchaeus. And I feel that way sometimes when I have to pay my land taxes. That I'm being extorted. And he said, unjust. He said, Lord, I don't cheat at anything. I don't cheat at cards. I don't cheat at aggravation. That's a game we play at the house. And well named. Unjust adulterers. He said, Lord, I have never been with another woman. And he said, or even as this publican. I'm going to be honest with you, I hate to say this, but that night that they asked for a show of hands, Brother Tucker, when I was sitting about where you are, or where Brother Scott is, my first time in church, and, I'm, and they're, they're my, my high school buddies are sitting on the same pews with me. It's a youth night rally, and I'm, they're members of different Baptist churches in the town, but I don't know nothing about Baptists. I don't know nothing about being saved. I just know that at home, that I knew there was a God, and so I feared that God, and so I did the best I knew. And out of, out of my ignorance, 
I had memorized, I've told you this before and I'll tell you again, I, I, I memorized psalms, five psalms, not verses, psalms. And I would say them to God at night like a Catholic would say the rosary. And I would go to bed feeling a little bit better about myself. And when those boys, when that preacher said, how many of y'all are going to heaven when you die? And, when, and, and I'm standing there and, I'm, and we're standing up and I'm looking, I'm peeking. And I saw those boys raise their hands. And so now I'm thinking, and I'm listening. I'm sincere here now. I'm thinking in my heart, I don't know nothing about the Bible. I don't know nothing about church. I don't know anything about this stuff about salvation. I'm looking at those boys and I'm saying, Lord, if these guys are going, man, I've got to be going. Because you know what I do at the house, and I know these boys don't. All they do is cuss and drink. I know what they do on Friday and Saturday night. We raced our cars. We did all the things that, that boys do in that kind of atmosphere. And they were part of it. And I'm thinking, man, they're going, I'm going. And, I, and I'm just telling you, don't be, listen, if you can't be a light, at least don't be a stumbling block. Amen? At least don't be a stumbling block. But really, in that heart, though, Brother Tucker, was nothing but self-righteousness. Because I was not convinced, Brother Byer, that I was as bad as those preachers were saying that I was. I wasn't convinced of that. And so, this man right here, in verse number 11, says, even as this publican. I said, Lord, even if, if them boys are going, I'm going. Verse 12, I fast twice in a week. Well, I wasn't doing that. But do you see how serious this guy is? That there are religions out there that are devoted to what they do. And they outshine us in their devotion. You need to understand that. And you need to understand that, that they can be very sincere. I've met some very sincere Catholics who are very devoted to their faith. And the Bible says here in verse number 13, well, in verse number 12, he said, I fast twice in the week, I give tithes of all that I possess. He said, I'm like a pretty good church member. He said, and the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes into heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalted himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Whoa. Let's go back to our text real quick. Let's wrap this up. Look in Romans chapter 10 with me, please. You know, there's a great danger of, of, of coming up around religion. Sometimes kids think that because they go to church, and maybe because their parents are Christians, and because they do not do some of the things that other kids have done, that they're okay with God. But they have never exchanged their own righteousness for the righteousness that belongs to God alone in Christ Jesus. And in order to do that, you're going to have to look at what he says right here. They are ignorant of the demands of the law, and they were ignorant of their own depravity. I thank God for His mercy and patience in my own life that He put me underneath the Word of God and the Word of God began to expose me for how wicked that I really am and that's exactly what the law of God will do. I came to the conclusion that I was a lost man, that I was a sinner, and that I deserved the judgment of God. I mean, I came to that conclusion from listening to the Word of God. The Word of God preached faithfully did not enhance my comfortable position of self-righteousness. It pulled it out from under my feet and showed me that I was a sinner. But it didn't just show me that. It showed me that Christ was the Savior. So this imposed and supposed righteousness can be full of zeal and passion, as he says in Romans chapter 10, verse number 2. Sacrifices, people can be very emotional. The deeds of religious canes knows no boundaries, whether it be a Muslim or a Buddhist, or a Mormon, or a JW, or a Catholic, or a Jew. These are all have their own religions. They are subtle, they are devilish, and they pervert the righteousness of God by faith. 
Now you see Paul's compassion in verse 1. You see his confession of their ignorance in verse number 3. But I want you to notice Paul's confidence. His confidence in the gospel. And what it can do to a man. If he will be still long enough to listen. Isn't that that the hard part? Getting people to, to listen for a little bit. Because faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. He's confident. He was confident that any Jew that he knew. If they would be willing to do what these verses say, that God would save them. And you also must have that same confidence this morning. Can I say to you that God's righteousness is something that is received. It is not something that is achieved. If you ever get that down, there's hope for you. It's something received. Not achieved. Look at these verses. He said, first of all, they're going to have to be willing to admit something. The Bible says that in verse number 3, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves under the righteousness of God, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. They're going to have to be willing To admit that they cannot save themselves. And they have not the sufficient righteousness that will please a holy and righteous God. They have to be willing that Christ, Christ alone, who was spotless, sinless, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, became sin, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You have to be willing to admit that. Just like in the Old Testament when Jesus was using the illustration as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And when they were bit by those serpents, The only thing they could do to be healed was to look. He said, if you look, you'll live. For some, that was too simple. They were looking to other means. And for you to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of of our faith and our salvation, there you will find the demanded and needed and provided righteousness of God that you will need in order to be saved and to go to heaven which I'm interested in. And so Paul said, you're going to have to be willing to admit this, and it's very difficult for a Muslim, as my brother's been witnessing to some, very difficult for them to admit that their forefathers and their grandfathers and their grandmothers, you know how difficult it is for a Catholic to be able to say, if I agree with what you have just said, you're telling me that my grandparents are in hell tonight? Do you know how hard it is for a religious person that's a Mormon for them to say, if I admit what you're saying, then you are telling me that my grandparents and my parents that have gone on, that they are now in hell? That's a hard thing. That's a hard thing to admit. But the only thing about that is there's nothing you can do about the past. The only thing you can do is about the present. And you can think about you being saved and your children being saved and your grandchildren are being saved. You break the chain in the line of darkness. Very difficult out of fear and the fear of man and the cost that they will have to pay with their kinfolks if they turn. When you talk about admitting this, you know what? That is the true definition of repentance toward God And faith in Christ Jesus is you agreeing with God against yourself that He is right and you're wrong. But not only admit, but you'll notice it says here in verse number 3, 
they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. They must be willing to submit themselves now to this imputed righteousness that God has provided. Wow. And once that submission takes place and you're willing to yield yourself to this, then you commit something to God. Notice what he says down here in verse number 9. You are now committing that immortal part of you to God. That eternal soul of yours. Verse 9 says that if, that's a big word, isn't it, for just two letters? If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and not talking about you just saying the word Lord Jesus, it means you're willing to say the same things about God that God the Father has recorded about Jesus Christ. That He is the end of the law for righteousness. That the law was a schoolmaster to take you to Christ. And that Christ is the end. He is the payment. The substitute. He is the righteousness of God. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart, that God hath raised Him from the dead, because for a Jew to confess that, would have to, he'd have to agree that He truly was the Messiah, and that He had been murdered by His by his kinfolks and his forefathers, that they had killed the coming Messiah of God. They would have to agree with that, admit that. And that God verified that he was the Son of God by raising him from the dead. That was a big step. And the Bible says that if you'll do this and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Now again, salvation is in a promise. Imputed righteousness to a man's heart comes from him believing God's promise. Abraham believed God's promise. And in the likeness of this, he believed that God could do what he could not do. And the Bible says when he believed the promise of God, that God was able, God was capable, that God would keep his word, the Bible says righteousness was imputed to his account. And he said, in like manner, that God has raised Jesus Christ from the dead, that sinners like you and and I could be justified if we would believe in the promise of God. And I believe with all my heart that when I heard that message and I went to my pastor's office and I got on my knees, I admitted and I submitted and I called upon Him with all of my heart and all of my being. I said, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I believe that. And I knew that I could not save myself. I believe that. And I believe that I deserve the judgment of God. I believe that. But I also believe the promise of God. That if I would call upon Him and believe on Him and trust in Him with all of my heart, that He would do what He said He would do, that He would save me and deliver me and impute to my... Now, I didn't understand all that stuff about justification and imputation of righteousness. But I know this, that when I took Him at His word, that He kept His Word, that the peace of God came into my heart, and the assurance that He had heard me and saved me and delivered me from the wages of my sin and the wrath of God, I knew that a transaction had taken place that was eternal, and I'm still basing it on that. I have a birth certificate right there, born again the second time by the grace of God. And the Bible says here that in verse number 10, for the heart, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. Do you understand it's from the heart you must believe, you must receive. And I pray you'd get this thought. God's righteousness is received, not achieved. You must be willing to commit yourself to this. Now Paul was also confident, my friend, that in order for somebody to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved, they're going to have to hear about Him. And so he said, you know what, church? You're going to have to send some preachers out. And they're going to have to preach Jesus. And he said, and you're going to have to preach Jesus. 
And he says here in verse number 12, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. Do you have confidence that if your kinfolks would admit and submit and commit themselves and their heart to Christ that God would save them? Verse 13, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? What a wonderful, what a wonderful truth. But verse 14 says, How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not heard? Excuse me. How shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? East River Baptist Church is guilty of sending and spending on men that will carry this message. How shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. I want to say to you, and there's much, much, much to say in the book of Romans about the righteousness of God and how that it must be declared unto men. The righteousness of God is found in Christ Jesus and it is to be declared to all men that Christ is the answer. I want to say to all religions who borrow the name of Jesus as if He is a down payment, on your soul, but you have to keep up the payments in order to secure your eternal life that you are not presenting the proper message of the cross. The Lord Jesus Christ is not a down payment, and then I keep up the payments, and if I miss a payment, then there is a default on my salvation. That is foolishness indeed. For it is Christ in all. I met a young man in an RV one time when I was out knocking doors years ago in South Louisiana, and he welcomed me in, and we talked about his soul. He said, I am a, of some sort, some, some brand of, of a Pentecostal, and I'm not sure if he understood everything Pentecostals believe, but I can only tell you how he was that moment right then in that spot of the impression that they had placed upon him. I said, sir, if you died right now, would you go to heaven? He said, no, sir, I wouldn't. I said, why not? He said, well, he said, I've been saved. He said, but he said, I haven't been to church in a while because of the way I work in in the oil field. And I haven't been to communion and I have not observed the Lord's Supper in a while. And I know that without that, he said, I know I'm not clean enough and I'm not going to make it when I die. He said, I need to get back in church and I need to get right with God. So I would say that somebody told him Jesus was his down payment, but he hadn't been making the payments through his confessions, and through other things that other religions add to it as the Judaizers did and said, yeah, you can trust Jesus, but you're going to have to be circumcised as well in order for you to be right with God. I want to say to you that that's not the Jesus that the Bible speaks about. This Jesus of Nazareth who died for our sins. Let us close with a few verses and then I want to sing with you a couple of songs, or a song with you. And rejoice over what God has done for us. Would you turn with me to the book of Romans real quick, chapter 3. Let me read a couple of verses. It makes it very clear in chapter 3, verse 10, you have probably quoted this verse in your witnessing. That there is none righteous, no, not one. But we don't really comprehend that when we're lost, when somebody tells us that. At least I didn't. In verse 20, look at this. How clear is this? Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God, which without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, meaning they were pointing toward Christ. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God 
which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all that believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned, Jew and Gentile, male and female, and have come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins. I love to ask people, if you died and stood before God, and He said, why should I let you into heaven? I love to hear their answers. Because as I listen to their answers, it tells me very much of where they stand and where their hope is about this matter. If they say, my hope alone is in what Jesus Christ did for me on the tree. They don't have to be eloquent. They don't have to get all the words just right. But I know where their hope is. It's in the work of Christ. And he says here in verse number 25, he said to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness. That he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning as your Lord and as your Savior? Is he your entire substitute, propitiation, and his righteousness? I love that song, In Christ Alone. What a great song that is. If you have not heard it, you ought to listen to it. He said, I don't like those people that sing it. Well, pick somebody else that sings it that you do like. Amen? Don't let people steal your joy because you don't know them or don't like them in Christ alone. Do you trust in Christ alone for your salvation? I want you to sing with me. Ladies, if you'll come to the instrument for just a moment. This is a familiar, familiar song. All my songbooks are missing. There it is. Stand with me, please. I want you to notice the hymn writer and what he is emphasizing in this song. Turn 526 and sing with me this morning as we dismiss. <laughs> 